Hello, welcome to Purple Politics, your weekly dive into the political realm locally, nationally, and globally, where the red and the blue meet. How you doing this week? I'm all right. I'm Sean Thompson, the Republican elephant in the room. And I'm Jay Stittleberg, the Democrat in the room. <laughs> and we're here to talk about, oh, first off, welcome to our second episode of Purple Politics 2.0. Yeah. And uh, you're seeing this after the fact, but today our phones have been blowing up because this was the day where the Electoral College was supposed to basically vote on the results of the election. And as we speak right now, uh, there's some storming going on on the Capitol building. <laughs> Uh, very I, so we're gonna add this to the conversation. Fortunately, we, uh, we were supposed to record yesterday. We couldn't. We're doing it today. Some stuffs happened, so we're gonna delve delve into that. Yeah, it's uh, well. In my opinion, it's a terrible day for democracy. What? No, um, no. Why? Well, for me, it's a terrible day for democracy because I am all about protesting, mm -hmm. peaceful protesting, uh, having your voice be heard. Uh, but it becomes another thing when you smash windows and break into the Capitol. Uh, and cause the capital to be locked down and evacuated. So, so how does this separate from the previous year of where it's not the U.S. Capitol, but it's been federal buildings? Yeah, so it's a great question because, again, I'm always somebody that's open for protesting and, and freedom of speech. I think it's really important in our democracy. Mm -hmm. I think it's healthy in our democracy. Uh, but I think we have to understand that now we have crowds. And, and I will never condone violence. I will never condone... Uh, damaging people's property because you're having a protest for something. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. It's not the right thing to do. Uh, so, so, I mean, I can't say much more than that. Okay. But I, I think that for what's happened today and it's being spawned by the commander-in-chief himself, uh, I think it's a, a terrible day for democracy. How And how do you view that? Uh, I mean, obviously he did not go out and say, go and storm the Capitol, so... Well, he basically did, if you listened to his speech this morning, because he said he was going to walk with them to the Capitol and protesting. Okay. And uh, he did not do that, of course, and he riled them up, and as they were actually entering the Capitol, he was tweeting uh, how Pence failed him and how uh, other Republicans have failed him because they weren't supporting him in his bid to mm -hmm. this fraudulent election. Uh, but how does that election. translate to so? So to me, if you get a, if you get well, I think it's pretty simple. When you get a crowd and you get them riled up, and you have the commander in chief of who he is and how his supporters react to what he says and believe every single word he says, mm -hmm. that I think the inevitable outcome was what we're seeing right now in the Capitol. For me, and I appreciate your position on this, for me, I think it's kind of the, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this, the white Republican response to the final straw that, you know, the final straw that started um, the, the protest. Now, I, I am not comparing the two at all when I'm talking about the birth of Black Lives Matter with uh, Floyd and, and everything else. I'm not comparing those two. But in their own separate ways, when there is a, a perceived final straw or, or hitting the wall or not. So I, too, am firmly opposed. Uh, I, I, I hated the protests of the, of the last year. Um, I despise the media's response to that. If I see one media outlet calling this anything but a peaceful protest, I'm going to get really mad because you can't have it both ways. So whilst I'm not a fan of what's going on, I'm not surprised, and the the the... Darth Vader part of me is laughing at what's going on. The shock of, oh, this is when people hit their nut, this is what happens. Yeah. It's it's for 
many, many months now, Republicans have been reviled. And, and you know, you have leadership of the Democrat Party, like you know, James Carville, saying we're not going to rest till the GOP is demolished and wiped off the face of the earth. And, but I guess, and I, I, we didn't mean to like go right into this, but <laughs> if we can, we will go with local and, yeah. and, and other stuff. We'll get there. So help me out here, Jay. Sure. Democrat Party to me seems to be about the, um, you know, single payer healthcare system, single party, single entity overseeing all. Whereas Republicans, we're all for competition, open trade, you know, so sure. to uh, to have knowing that if you have two people vying for the same job, the cream rises or supposed to rise. Sure. And so same thing with this when the Democrats, because I don't see too many Republicans <laughs> saying we must destroy the Democrats because <laughs> that, you know, like wipe them off the face They're of there. the earth. Oh, they are, but not <laughs> the James Car. We don't have a James Carville saying that. Well, no, you have Sean Hannity saying it. <laughs> well, see, but Sean Hannity's a pundit. Yeah, go for ratings. James Carville was actually a political operative. Sure. So when you have someone who was actually in the White House in a working wow. capacity saying we must remove the other party from existence, that scares the snot out of me. Well, I think that uh, – well, let me start with a, with a couple of things. Sure. Uh, first, I think to, again, kind of group the democratic thought processes as – we want single payer for everything is, again, grouping people into a group just because of the letter after their name, because it's not true. Fair enough. The president-elect of this country doesn't believe in the single payer health care system. And he's openly said that. Okay. So, so that destroys that kind of philosophy again. Again, this whole philosophy about grouping people into one thing and just saying they're all like this because of this, which is just not true. That's not how we work. Fair enough. Humans. And... You know, I think I think Democrats stand for helping the American people, right? Some people may not agree with the way that the Democrats look at those, depending on what the issue is. If you want to call it single payer, I have an issue with single payer, mm-hmm. um, and I've been vocal about that because you know, yes, every other uh, industrialized country has basically a socialized medicine type system uh, that they pay for through their taxes. Uh, but at the end of the day, my, my point has always been, how do you take a system in the United States that's for-profit when all those other countries, their healthcare systems are not-for-profit? How do you turn that into a not-for-profit and not lose millions of jobs, et cetera? Mm-hmm. And no one has been able to give me some you know, tangible plan to do that. So mm-hmm. in my opinion, that doesn't work. In my opinion, we have the ACA, and we know things that are wrong with the ACA, and we need to fix those things that are wrong. And then as we continue down the road, we're going to find more things wrong, and let's fix those things that are wrong. That's how it should work. Um, you know, we should always attack trying to make things better that we have in place and not just try to start from scratch. Mm-hmm. So, so that's one thing I want to say about that is, 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 you know, all Democrats don't believe in the same thing. We're such Absolutely. a diverse party. Uh, uh, but there are a lot of things we do care about. Um, and, and I think that, and when it comes to Republicans versus Democrats and destroying the Republican Party, and you don't hear a lot of, you know, use, in your terms, Republicans kind of saying the same thing, pun, not pundits, but operatives, if you will, like a James Carville. Uh, but the reality is a lot of those, uh, well, how should I word this, old-fashioned Republicans, the, the Republicans I remember from when I was younger, 25 or 30 years ago. <laughs> the GOP members who know the um, GOP scenes for grand old grand party. Grand old party. Uh, you know, my problem is, is that a lot of those folks uh, that were that were operatives on what I, you know, what I missed in the Republican Party uh, from years and years and years ago is that 
they aren't even associating themselves with the Republican Party right now mm-hmm. because there's a there's two factions of the Republican Party in my eyes right now. There are yes. this the the historically traditional Republicans, the the group that I really miss, mm-hmm. and then there are these. I'll just say Trump Republicans. That's what I look at the mass. Okay. And, and these are the ones that I think are on the far fringes. They believe everything that he says. They believe everything, uh, for example, Fox News says. They just believe it. They don't go research anything. They don't use multiple sources to try to confirm a story. Mm-hmm. They just hear that one story or see a tweet, and, and that is it. And that has become the problem that has existed. And in my opinion, when James Carville talks about destroying the GOP, that is the GOP he's talking about destroying is these Trump Republicans who have lost grip on reality. I'd feel better if he specified it. Well, Because, again, to just to do the blanket. I will call him I'll after the show. Give him, give him a buzz. <laughs> We're going to call him. Carville, you're on, you're on our list here. Um, and I absolutely agree with you. And, you know, to an extent, I think uh, the GOP is obviously in crisis mode right now. And I feel that leading up and there, there's kind of a, a detente period right now, but leading up to this and shortly will resume – a comparable crisis mode with the Democrat Party where you have your, I don't want to say centrist Democrats, your, 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 the Democrats who could talk across the aisle to the Republicans mm-hmm. are being outshouted by squads, new, new, uh, new blood. And I, I feel that if taking out the religious aspect of, of, the, of the right, uh, Conservatives don't try to out conservative each other. <laughs> yeah, but I've my sense is that with with some on the left or in the Democrat Party or liberals, however you want to phrase it, it's it's almost a competition that you have to out liberal each other. Well, I'm a vegetarian. Well, I'm a vegan. Well, I'm lactose. You know, lactose vegan. <laughs> well, I you know I believe in this. It, it seems to if you don't believe in everything, you get shouted down. I, I feel that's a little more vocal. I'm not saying it's not present with the GOP, but it's more vocal, I think, on the left. Well, I, I don't know about more vocal on the left, and I only say that because, you know, I've said long and hard that the fringe ends of both parties are creating a lot of problems right. in, in our politics today and have for many years. Uh, but, you know, the Tea Party uh, Republicans, well... The Tea Party Republicans of today, because the Tea Party Republicans of today are not the Tea Party Republicans when they came out in, what, 2012 or whenever right. they started. Um, because the, the truth is, the, the original Tea Party folks, you know, didn't have, their message, was, it wasn't a bad message that they had. They had some good arguments on things. And today it's turned into, you know, much like you can compare it to the fringe end of the left, it's a our way or the highway. If you don't like mm-hmm. 100% of what we're saying, then then you're a rhino. Uh, you're not a real Republican uh, because you don't believe what we believe. And, and that creates the problems because the majority of people are in the center. The majority of people of this country are in the center. And, you know, and we'll get to the Senate race, Senate races in Georgia, I'm sure, during this discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when we look at the Senate body overall and we look at the, the number of moderates that are in the Senate, uh, you know, and we'll get to this about that, is that to me the, the Senate body is much more moderated uh, in numbers than, say, the House is, uh, in my opinion. I, I feel that it, even if it just gets down to the numbers, to have 50 versus 435, you know, it's easier to get things done with 50 voices than 435 voices. 
Well, 100 invoices, if you're counting all of them. True. Uh, you're, yeah, you're absolutely right. Sorry, I messed up my numbers on that. But you see what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, it's it's easier to compromise in, in the good way uh, to, to to go behind closed doors together, to sit over coffee or whatnot, well, than to think, have 435 with, with multiple committees at cross-purposes. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't disagree. I mean, obviously, the smaller numbers and the type of people that I think, for the most part, get elected to the Senate. Uh, not all of them, in my opinion, uh, uh, is much easier to have those cross-aisle conversations and, and more moderated. And, and, and if things trend the way they are, and we'll, again, we'll get to this, but I, I think we're going to have to, you know, they're gonna ha- we're going to see more of that if, if history kind of repeats itself from the last time we had a 50-50 split Senate mm-hmm. in 2001. So, so. Let's go local. Let's yeah. see if we can kind of go on script for a little bit, and then we'll go national, which we'll be talking about the Georgia runoff. And I've got to update my notes because yesterday it hadn't happened, so <laughs> I, I had one one train of thought. Uh, so the uh, by the time you read this, probably or, or see us, uh, the eighty seventh Texas State Legislature will be in session mm-hmm. uh, starting January twelfth and goes through May thirty first. Yeah. Uh, it's exciting, and I know, you know, I, certainly from my experience as talking to people, I know a lot of people don't really necessarily understand how the state legislature works. And we're going to give you a primer. Or or how it's uh, made up, or how many people are actually in it, or, or how it actually even works. So I think we're going to talk about that today, so we can, we can educate some folks, <clears throat> maybe. Right, so it's a mini version of, like, the federal House and Senate, and of course so we have 31 senators in the state Senate, and 150 House representatives in the state House. That's right. And I'm going to give you a little bit of a breakdown. This is kind of, I I like this trivia thing. The age range is from ages 50 to 78. The average is 13.8 years experience with a combined total of 427 years of experience. There are 21 men and 10 women. And this surprised me. 19, and this is, I'm sorry, this is for that, for the Senate, not the House. 21 men, 10 women, 19 Republicans and 12 Democrats. So I'm seeing... You know, those who outside of Texas tend to poo-poo Texas a lot, and it just bugs the snot out of me. When open carry became a thing, I'm like, well, that's typical Texas. I lost my voice pointing out that Texas was the 45th out of 50 states to go open carry. 44 states went there before Texas did. So don't do the whole, you know, Texas is yahoos and cowboy boots and stuff like that. We got 19 Republicans and 12 Democrats and 10 women uh, and 21 men in, in the Senate. Occupations and industries of uh, the senators include accounting, advertising, communications, consulting, engineering, game warden, which uh, was cool to hear, insurance, law, medicine, nonprofit, which I think is very important, and steel or, you know, t- the textile trade. Yeah. Yeah. So, in, uh, you know, senators or representatives in the state of Texas, some people think you, you run for politics because of money. Uh, <laughs> you certainly don't in the state of Texas, let me tell you. Uh, because the the pay for a state legislator, whether it's in the Senate or the House, there's no difference in their pay. Uh-huh. Uh, is 600 bucks a month. Holy cow! Uh, and then they get a per diem when they're actually in legislative session, uh, which is you know a couple hundred bucks a day uh, during that 140 day session. So it's 140 days. So that's what sets the tone. It starts on the second Tuesday of in January of the odd year. And goes for 140 consecutive calendar days. So that is how the the dates are set for the legislative session, which only meet once every two years in the odd year. Uh, so you certainly don't run for these seats uh, for for the fame and glory and the money. 
I'm not saying a state senator makes less money than I do, but yeah, actually, I'm going to... No, I'm not. Uh, very, very close there. Uh, the state senate also has a lot of standing committees here, uh, and they include uh, administration, agriculture, business and commerce, criminal justice, education, finance, health and human services, higher education, intergovernmental relations, natural resources, economic development, nominations, property tax, which is important, mm-hmm. state affairs, transportation, veteran affairs, to me is very important, border security, and water and rural affairs. And of course, there are also on top of that, lots and lots of select and interim and joint committees. Yeah. So again, I know we read a long list there, but there's basically 16 standing committees. And then there's, you know, depending on the cycle and the year and the legislative session, there'll be a bunch of other committees that are put together uh, for whatever the legislative agenda that's mm-hmm. set out by the governor and the lieutenant governor. So, uh, so the they're going to meet or have hmm. met by January on January the twelfth. They will have or have met, uh, and so they've got about five and a half months. What kind of things will be on the agenda here? Yeah, so we already see. You know, they 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 started filing bills in early November, so they could you know they could, so you can pre-file <clears throat> a bill before you hit session. Legislators could can pre-file bills, and they did. And and there's some bills to watch, and some of the topics that we're going to see. Uh, when it comes to the legislative agenda this year, we're going to see things about uh, abolishing the Confederate Heroes Day in Texas. Uh, we're going to see things related to firearm sales at gun shows, uh, increasing the state minimum wage, uh, abortion restrictions. Those are usually par, uh, par for the course in Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, marijuana offenses, I think marijuana reform, and whether that is recreational or medical marijuana, we're going to start seeing a lot with, you know, especially the medical uh, marijuana offenses, which is really kind of boils down to criminal justice reform, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, and I still have been a staunch advocate of we need to legalize marijuana in the state of Texas, quite frankly. Um, bills on excessive force by law enforcement and, and how we can... Uh, better train and make sure that we have accountability in our law enforcement for for those that violate the rules, mm-hmm. which I think is important, uh, and Medicaid expansion. So, so I think those are some of the big topics we're going to see uh, in the legislative session when it starts. Um, and I think it's going to be, <clears throat> excuse me, I think it's going to be pretty exciting. I think the legislative sessions are fairly exciting. I've gone to Austin and 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 um, you know sat and and. Um, talked in front of a committee before mm-hmm. uh, against a bill, by the way, but uh, it's fun to go to Austin. You can, you know, the the Capitol's in a, it's a, it's a beautiful building. It's, it truly the, is. The grounds are great and, and you can be a part of the process because, you know, you can go uh, during public sessions and, and uh, have your voice heard in front of the committees with, mm-hmm. with the bills that uh, are of interest to you. So. Now, Jay, I couldn't, either I zoned out for like a quarter second <clears throat> or I didn't hear educa- anything education related on, on your agenda list was that do we just not know if they're not if they're not yeah i don't know I, I don't know what they're going to do when it comes to education uh certainly they need to do a better job with public education i think the funding and pub for public education in texas is horrific uh, i think they you know did a little bit of good service in the last session in the in the 86th session uh they did pump a lot of money into into public education uh, but not a lot of it came to fruition the way they wanted or the way they try to sell it to to the public uh, and I think that's going to come back to bite them. And, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how they can find money to, to maintain those kind of levels, especially with what we're going through with COVID-19 and the way schools have kind of operated, some, you know, in person, some virtual, uh, which I think have pros and cons during this particular time mm-hmm. on, on both sides. So uh, I think it's going to be an interesting uh, to see what comes out when it comes to the funding process for for public education, because 
you know, unfortunately in the state of Texas, we've seen that the Republican controlled legislature has notoriously over the last decade reduced public education funding. And, uh, you know, I always tell people 2019 was a little bit of a fluke. And if I see it again, I, I hope I do see it again, that they increase funding for public education. But I, I'm certainly not uh, optimistic that it's going to happen. Right. Um, and unfortunately to maybe those on my <clears throat> side of the aisle, I am a junkie for education. Um, I Education to me is the silver bullet. Everything stems from a good education. And I'm disheartened when I find out that the uh, the, the standard test, the, the star, star, the star, is 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 keeping on going. I, I have my own. You know, when I get finally win president, uh, we're going to have some conversations about if there's going to be any standardized test. It's going to be at the beginning of each year to find out where everyone is, and then you adapt accordingly. You don't put them at the end. It just turns you into a, a, a rote mill, and I'm not a fan of that. So if you're on my side of the aisle and you want to punch me in the nose, send us an email and let me know your thoughts. In fact, let us know your thoughts. Yeah. Any, anything we're talking about here, we'd love to hear your feedback on that. Yeah, and I can't agree more. I mean, I, I think star testing is, is a tragedy for our students and our teachers and, and, and our parents. Uh, I, I, I think the, it really needs to go away. Uh, I'm not Again, I'm not somebody that's opposed to standardized tests. I took them when I was in school, mm -hmm. uh, but they didn't have the weight that they have on them in the state of Texas. You know, I didn't have to, you know, pass them to graduate. I mean, they used them more as a tool to see where people stood, uh, not for uh, assessing their ability to take a test because yeah. it's the worst way to assess uh, a student's ability in my opinion absolutely agree <clears throat> well i think we've covered the uh, local aspect the state legislature shall we delve into the national sure kind of pick it up where we left off so uh you know obviously all the protests that are happening in the capitol building right now are 100 percent due to antifa um you know <laughs> i jest uh People have hit the end of the rope on many many levels on both sides of the party, and again, I'm I'm not a I'm not a fan of this. Uh, but when I was scrolling through Twitter earlier, there were many many Republican or GOP voices and accounts saying, "For God's sake, stop this! You know this is not how to make. It. You've been ranting against this for the last year. Now you've just undone." All of this, yeah. and and I I, I got to side with with that. If you happen to be in Washington D.C. and it's still going on by the time you're <laughs> watching this, stop, just stop. Yeah, it's been pretty amazing to me, uh, especially coming from a group of people that typically staunchly talk about supporting our law enforcement and how much they back the blue. And you name the you know the little catchphrase that that's used on the Republican side, thinking that Democrats don't support law enforcement, which we absolutely do. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the end of the day, uh, like you just said, how is what they're doing right now in the Capitol any different uh, than what they were totally against in any other protest we saw when it came to Black Lives Matter or, or any of those types of things? Right. And I will put a lot of responsibility. Uh, I'm not looking forward to 2021, but I'm eagerly anticipating to see you know what happens, what results, and how the media handles it. And media, there's a responsibility on media to handle this responsibly. Now, I've got some breaking news, breaking for us. It's just happened. A report has come out that a, a woman's been treated for uh, gunshot wounds on Capitol grounds. Now, speaking of media and, you know, my thoughts go to whomever this is. I don't care who it is, and I don't care if it's Republican, Democrat, protester, cop. Hmm. If it was a Capitol police shooting someone, if she was armed, not armed, you know, it's a tragedy that this happens. But what I've noticed in a situation like this, now, of course, this is breaking news as things progress, but there seems to be whenever someone does something 
stupid, I'll just say it, or a stupid thing happens. The media seems to be tend to go quiet until they find out how that person involved voted, and that's where the headlines start coming into it. Well, and so I want to obviously give my all my thoughts to whoever this person is, but I would not be surprised if we still don't have all the information by the time this episode makes it to air because they're trying to figure out, okay, this woman, you know, if she was armed and attacking a cop, why, you know, was it a, a, a proud girl or whatever? <laughs> well, I think that, you know, um, we should wait. I always believe we should wait for facts. Yes. And, and, and then make, you know, have discussions based on facts and not hearsay. And, and what may or may not have happened. Um, again, I don't, you know, condone violence in any way, and I don't care what side it is, what side of the aisle it's on, what side is protesters or police or whoever's doing whatever. Uh, to me, it should just never escalate to the point of of violence. It's one thing to have your voice be heard. Uh, it's totally another to uh, start becoming violent uh, on, on either side, quite mm -hmm. frankly. I mean, if you have... And I mean that by saying if you have a if you do have a crowd that's protesting and then police become violent because we've seen it happen, um, that doesn't help the situation. And on the other side of the equation, when you have the police that are just trying to do their job and you get a crowd that becomes violent, again, it doesn't help anything in trying to either get your message out or anything else. It just really destroys your message uh, when things like that happen. Right. So. I will make a prediction, though. I will predict that any... Trump supporters or Republicans that are arrested during these things will not be bailed out by any of the newly elected uh, officials. And uh, because that, that kind of threw me off during the you know months past where there were candidates who were setting up funds to pay the bail um, for for people arrested. My prediction is, is that anyone arrested today is not going to get bailed out by anyone in the GOP. As it should be, to be honest. Uh, everyone causing damage or harm needs to face consequences. I agree. In my humble opinion. I agree with that 100%. Well, let's go on to... So, one of the matches on this powder keg, this was just a... Per, I don't want to <laughs> say it was inevitable, but it, it was... I'm not surprised. Mm -hmm. When I heard how, how the storming was happening, it's like, you know, I, I'm really not surprised this has happened. So not only would, do we have the electoral vote where Vice President Pence said, went against President Trump, said, I have no power to do this, and he rightfully said that. He doesn't. And, of course, President Trump is, you know, responded accordingly <laughs> in his flavor. But we also had the Georgia Senate runoff. Now, this is what, <laughs> Jay, I, I got to talk about this. So I go to bed with 99% of the vote counted. And then I wake up in the middle of the night to find out that they went home once again before completing the count and came back in the morning and, and 32,000 extra votes were, we've, quote, found them. Yeah, I don't think they found anything because even as of the time I walked in this building, only 92% of the vote had been counted in the state as a whole. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, which, so I, you know, I, I'm not on board with your philosophy there. What I'm on board with is that, uh, they had unprecedented record numbers of voters in a, um, special runoff election, uh, in Georgia, which they've never had. They had about 4.4 million total votes. Mm -hmm. They had 5 million votes in November. These are numbers unheard of in a, in a runoff election. Over 3 million people voted, uh, by mail or absentee ballot, mm -hmm. um, which those are all the votes that are being still counted right now. Those are the votes. So they're not finding votes. What there is is these are absentee ballots that were mailed in. They might have counted 99% of, 
of the election day voting, mm -hmm. uh, but they still have mail-in ballots uh, to, to count because they accept mail-in ballots until Friday, mm -hmm. um, as long as they were postmarked by the election day. So they still accept until Friday. So they still have, at least the last time I heard, they still have about 60,000 uh, mail-in ballots. But yet everyone's calling up. Uh, we're, we're hearing that, you know, everyone's called for uh, both uh, GOP's lost both seats. How can these be called with so many votes outstanding? Well, that, that's because that's how that works. So maybe maybe people need to understand how uh, how it's called when a, when a network, whatever it is, Fox or NBC or whoever it is, or the Associated Press. Or the candidate in um, question has said, I won. Or the candidate. They, can, they have their prerogative. They can do what they want to. They take a risk doing that. Uh, but at the end of the day, the way the way these uh, election desks do this is they look at the remaining votes that are out still out there because so, mm -hmm. they know where they are geographically. They don't know what they are, but they know where they're coming from, what counties they're coming from. Mm -hmm. uh, and based on how those votes have been coming in over the course of that particular election, uh, they can predict what percentage each of the candidates are going to get with those uh, particular, uh, in this particular case, mail-in ballots that are still available. So they already have a precedent set that, you know, hey, for this county, we've got the percent breakdowns been, what, 60, we'll say 60-40, just so I can put numbers out there. Mm -hmm. And they know that the mail-in ballots, maybe they've been typically 65-35 in favor of a certain candidate. So even though there may be 15,000 votes left, the breakdown's probably going to be somewhere close to 65-35. And once the, once the separation gets to a certain number of votes ahead, there's no way for somebody to win with the remaining outstanding votes that are out there, which is how they call a race. It doesn't mean the race is official. It doesn't mm -hmm. mean have anything to do with the race being official. That that certifying's done after all the votes are counted is done by the state. It's not right. done. It's it's done by the counties and it's done by the state. It's not done by any of the news organizations. Uh, and that's why you see, like right now, most of the news organizations have called the race for, for Warnock, but the Ossoff race has not been called. Mm -hmm. So, so, and that's that's why we see that. Just because there's outstanding votes and somebody's, you know, a projected winner, that's why they use the word projected because at least, but based on numbers and math and the number of outstanding votes remaining, there's no way for that other person to have enough votes to even possibly win with the margin that exists. Right, and so. don't and don't get me wrong, I'm not for a quick solution. I want every vote counted. My take on that, though, when I found out that, once again, we're just going to shut it down, everyone go home, we'll lock the door, and no one's allowed inside except for, you know, these people. Um, how can I phrase this, Jay? Okay, so I'm going to mix my metaphors. Okay. Put, put up with me here. So, yes, not always where there's smoke, there's fire. And not always if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck. These are not always the case. However... If you look into a room and it's filled with smoking ducks, it does no good to say there are no smoking ducks going on here. If the this, especially this runoff election, the stakes on this are so high. And shortly, I do want to get into the what I feel is the dangers of any one party controlling everything, sure. and, and that's GOP or Democrat or Green or or <laughs> I don't care who. I just there's a danger in that. Um, too many, I felt that nothing had been learned when it comes to like the who's certifying these votes. Is there a signature, you know, match, mm -hmm. you know, what what levels are set? I think the, the, the stakes of this runoff were so high that everything needs to be incontestable to stop like these these riots going on right now. 
um, or just people grousing over the next four years, um, if there's a question, you know, if, if it looks and quacks like a duck and if there's smoke, it may not be the case, but you can't deny that it is. Why did I not get that sense that all safeguards have been put into effect on this this runoff? Well, I well, number one, I, I no one's yet to be able to put any evidence on the table of any kind of widespread voter fraud. I see. Period. I have a problem with widespread. You don't and, need widespread. You need a hundred people in a key location to flip one county or something like that. Yeah, but typically, typically, if you're talking about a hundred votes in a statewide election, that's not going to flip anything. Okay, a thousand. Right. So, define widespread. I, so that, that's my problem because I hear. But even on those numbers, you haven't seen it, and we have seen no evidence that it's occurred. Have we seen some isolated incidents where they found some abnormalities, whatever they want to call them? Sure, of course they're going to exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of people that vote in this country. There's a lot of elections that go on. Is everything going to be perfect all the time? It's not. And are there people that are going to do terrible things? Yes, there are. Uh, that's why we have police. That's why there's criminals. That's why there's jails, uh, because people aren't going to act in their own best interests and in the best of, of their ability, sometimes left to their own devices. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, I find it hard to believe that anyone locks a door and goes home during an election and there's no one inside and, and all this fraud's going on. I just don't see it. I trust our election system. Uh, furthermore, all of the election officials in Georgia are Republicans, so they're going against, I guess, their own interests in that case. So you can't sit there and say, well, it's Democrats that are doing this because the election of senior election officials in Georgia are Republicans. I, I do want to cut in on that because you're absolutely right. And I kind of want uh, this is not me ranting on Democrats. It's uh, when Trump came in, the whole draining the swamp thing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't I'm not going to drain. It wasn't I'm going to drain the swamp of Democrats. It's of the establishment. And I think on many levels, the establishment got afeared. Uh, and so politics makes strange bedfellows. Sure. And I think there are those, I have no doubt there are those who would put their job security over the greater good by by hopping metaphorically in into the sack with, with uh, an otherwise enemy. Well, and, and further to the, you know, I, I don't disagree, and, and further to this kind of discussion about, you know, votes and elections and voter fraud or whatever the case may be. I, I find it curious that uh, there's only a, a handful of states where they think this has happened, but in the states where, you know, whether it's Trump won or whatever, oh, there's no issues in any of those states, right? Who thinks there's a problem in the state of Texas with our voting system? Well, again, you, you well, see what I'm saying? Well, because so you're the, looking at pinpointed the certain, numbers that came in. They've the pinpointed certain states because... Well, they were of, battleground of states, and so whatever uh, reasons, under, right? Well, Texas under... was a battleground state in this election, if you, if you follow with the trend of things. So, so again, I have a whole problem with this whole thing because part of the whole thing that's going on in D.C. right now is all based on lies, right? There, this was not a fraudulent election. It never was a fraudulent election. Just like 2016 was not a fraudulent election. People said that back in 2016 on my side of the aisle, I'm sure. Uh, but it wasn't, and it wasn't in, in this election. And so, you know, everything that's going on right now with, like, the Capitol building and, and all these things we talked about already <clears throat> is all based on lies. And, and that's the problem I have, uh, you know, with, with this commander-in-chief who does nothing but put these lies out there and, and Fox News and the sort, uh, OAN and, and those types of organizations have all done the same thing. Uh, they put this fraudulent information out there, and of course they've had to renege on a lot of it, especially about voting machines, because they got, you know, they they were getting scared because lawsuits were coming um, by the companies that that build and operate these machines, and they know there's not a problem, 
So, so you know, my point is, is if you think if, if there's voter fraud, then put the evidence on the table and no one can do it. So in that case, I think you should shut up because there isn't any. But yeah, deal got, with it. I've got to take the election it. didn't turn out the way you wanted. Tough crap. And sit back and relax. Life is going to go on. Democracy is not going to end. Uh, we're not going to turn into socialists. This is not going to become China. Uh, and people just need to relax. It's that simple. I, well, you actually, you kind of deep dive. I'm trying to figure out which, which sort I want to pick it. Cause I agree, you know, relaxing and so forth and so on. <laughs> I, I'm on board with that, but, and I truly hate the yeah, but arguments. <clears throat> uh, I get it all the time and I'll call people out on it. If I point something out against, <clears throat> you know, Biden or even a Republican, I'll go, well, yeah, but Trump, I'm like, no, 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 that's not the, that's not the <clears throat> argument. Uh, I go back to, like, I hate to drag up old news, but, I mean, to me, it's very relevant because uh, it, it, bear with me as, as I mm -hmm. say this. So when the early days of the Trump administration with, you know, the urinating on a mattress or, or Trump saying they, they tap my wires, which he meant to say I got wiretapped. <laughs> and people, the urinate, you know, people were all about the, the, the urinating on a mattress with Russian prostitutes and, oh, you're crazy for that. But looking, a, a person who knows the charges against him are false is very vocal about it. Um, uh, once upon a time, I was in a situation where some, uh, some things were accused, and I knew they were false, and so I told the party, the parties involved, I know it's not true, so I'm not worried, you know. Mm -hmm. And the vociferousness with the, um, you know, like, for instance, the wiretapping or... Trump knew that the urinating on the mattress didn't happen. So he knew at that moment the entire thing was a lie. And knows that for his entire administration, fighting the everything that came from this fake document, the mm -hmm. Steele dossier. So we're going back. On, and I don't, so I don't want to go, yeah, but there was lies there. That's not my mm -hmm. point. It's that for an entire administration, from day one, he knew that, oh, this is what they're playing. This is a flat-out lie. I, I know I didn't pee on a mattress with these guys, so I know that all of this is a lie. And that set the tone for the entire four-year period, where it was just impeachment, uh, threat. How do you know that was a lie? Huh? How do you know that was a lie? Because it was discredited. Uh, the, the Hillary Clinton uh, bought it off. There's been no corroborating evidence whatsoever. Okay, put the but, evidence on the table. I'll pull a J. But my point is, put how do you evidence, know it's a lie? Just like you know the uh, all the machines are, are not... Hackable. Well, you just said put it on the. If, if that, hackable, that, put that's it on the my table. point. So put it on the table. The steel dossier was a lie. It's all been. Um, yeah, but that part of the steel dossier was not part of the trials that went on at all. That he was wiretapped. That one and snippet. he did not. And what I'm saying is that all he of was that, wiretapped. Who was he wiretapped by? Huh? I'd like to know that. The Justice Department. Really? Yes. For that reason. No, not what for what reason? I did, when I get wired when they. Tap the my steel wires. dossier? No, when they tap my wire. No, I'm talking about two different. I'm not saying because of the steel dossier, but when he said they tap my wires, it doesn't matter why. It's he said it, and everyone said you're crazy, and then two years later points out, yeah, we did, we were tapping his phones. So you know, where's the oh, you weren't crazy back then, or disproving that you know when the steel dossier came out and everyone was oh this is this is gospel, and then find out wait who who paid for it. And who's this person, and, and how did it make its rounds? Mm -hmm. uh, that that set the tone right off the bat. So 
you have a president who knows full well because those guns came out right at the beginning of, of the administration. Sure. The Steele dossier. He knew it was a lie. It was filled with lies or things that didn't happen, as, as has been proven over time that this did not happen or that there was zero evidence. And with him saying it didn't happen, prove it, no one was able to come forward with any corroborating evidence whatsoever. And he knew it because well, it didn't happen. All I can say is, is not going back in history, I don't want to mm -hmm. delve into this too much, but I'll, I'll just say that the Mueller report did not exonerate him of anything. Okay. Um, you know, I've read the entire Mueller report. It did not exonerate him of everything. And, and, and so, I, to me, there's still open door, open questions about a lot of things in there. But I, I never thought it was worth, honestly, uh, putting so much emphasis on it to begin with. Right? I mean... But it, it was I, the keystone of the entire administration. The, the objection to the entire legitimacy of the presidency was based well, in large I, part on this document. What went from there? All but the, my point is, is that, that I'm just saying my personal opinion. Oh, okay. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, I... I don't think that they should have ever put so much emphasis on all of that, right? I mean, I think for me it was very clear who Trump is, how he acts, how he carries himself. Uh, and, and I always knew from the moment he got elected that he would not change over oh, yes. the course of that time. So and he, those who voted and, for and him my opinion were banking is, on that. My opinion is he was going to do himself in over his four years just by being himself without any help from anybody else. Uh, which is exactly what we saw happen and are seeing, <laughs> have seen happen. So, you know, again, not going back in history uh, too deeply on that because, again, for, for me, all that's over with. I mean, the Mueller report was, what, two years ago or whatever it was. Has it, been, it has been that it's, long. It's been Holy long, cow. Yeah, yeah I, I, I did not mean to, to go back in time, I'm, but I think there's a like a moratorium and statute on limitations. But just pointing out that the absence of outright evidence does not mean, okay, we get to just shut up now. Well, the Mueller report didn't exonerate him, but I could make I could make up anything about but again, pro producer Justin. But my point is, and they say my no, point like, with oh, this is, is that over fifty lawsuits they filed in the courts, and when they went before judges, they wouldn't even talk about voter fraud. They said this isn't about voter fraud to the judge to his face mm -hmm. because they knew there wasn't any, and they can't lie to the judge in court. They'll lie to the public in front of a camera, but they won't lie to a judge in court. Oh, you talk about the... Uh, I'm the... talking about voter fraud stuff in this election cycle. These okay. are all the lawsuits that were filed on this whole voter fraud issue, right? So, so again, to me, if... Well, many of those were dismissed because saying, of jurisdictional and, and statutory... And that, uh, no, it has nothing to do with that. It has okay. to do with the fact that there was no evidence. They never could provide evidence. They never could put evidence on the table because it doesn't exist, Right. Um, and when it doesn't exist, and as far as the voting machines are concerned, again, you know, voting machines didn't change votes. They didn't change votes in 2016, as people claimed. Machines did in 2016. Or those darn hanging and, chads and they, in 28. And, and they did not, you know, change votes in 2020. Uh, that, that just did not happen, period. Mm -hmm. It didn't happen, right? So, um, because again, and that's why I say it didn't happen, because there is no evidence that that happened in, a, in any magnitude, and I'm not talking about the voting machines, I'm talking about the voter fraud, that would have changed the outcome of an election. Because, of course, there's voter fraud. There is. It exists. Uh, but it doesn't exist on a scale that ch could change the outcome of an election. That's my point of, of saying that. Fair enough. Um, let's move on to global now, yeah. Because I think we we've gone national, and again we want well, one feedback more thing though. On one more thing I want to talk about though, because sure. we didn't get to this as uh -huh. far as you know, one party controlling. Thank you. Yes, one party controlling. You know, all I say, all three 
parts. What I mean is the House, Senate, and the White House. Um, all facets of government, I guess, is the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. I think we said this last last week when we talked that mm-hmm. neither of us want are in favor of one party having overall power because it mm-hmm. usually doesn't lead to good things. Uh, and I did put my one caveat on that last week, and I still have that caveat today, is, is I think Mitch McConnell is a real problem in our political process. Uh, but that being said, I kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier. Should Ossoff hold on to the lead he's got, the, the, the Senate's going to be a 50-50 split. Um, the last, it doesn't happen very often in American history. The last time it happened was in 2001. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and what they did at that time, and I'm hoping that the Democrats will follow suit and do the same thing. If they don't, I'll be very angry and I'll be vocal about it. Um, and the way they handled it back then was they had to actually kind of deal with some, some, uh, uh, ways of handling business in, in, in the Senate because the rules in the Senate are not set up for a 50-50 Senate. Right. I mean, we do have, yes, the vice president is the tiebreaker, but the rules really aren't set up. For, uh, <laughs> Allergies, uh, I swear. <laughs> for, a, for a 50-50 split. So what they decided to do in 2001, what the leaders of both parties decided to do was that obviously there was a Republican president. So they decided that the committees, you know, that the committees would have Republican chairmen. Um, because chairs, because the Republicans had the White House. Mm-hmm. And so the Republicans had chairs, but they put equal numbers of Democrats and Republicans on each committee, so mm-hmm. there weren't more of one or the other uh, on the committees, so they had equal numbers on the committees, uh, and they really had to work with each other um, to work across you know, across the aisle. And this is what I'm talking about, that I think the Senate is much more moderated, uh, certainly, than the House is, uh, because you have a lot of moderate senators on both sides of the aisle mm-hmm. that aren't really going to put up with shenanigans. You know, you hear a lot of this stuff. People are going, oh, my God, the progressive stuff is going to come down and everything. It's going to be crazy and socialism and all this garbage. Jay, can I kind of do you think that when, could also partially be because senators can get more of the big picture thing because their jurisdiction is so I think much they larger have to. and it's not so special interest I mean, oriented? I, they have to. Okay. Right. Because, you know, they, they their jurisdiction, so to speak, mm-hmm. is their whole state. Right. Right. They're not looking at a district. Um, with specific people or requirements or, or needs, or they're looking at the entire state, mm-hmm. not only the, their state, but they're also looking at the nation, right? So, um, because there's only a hundred of them, um, and so I think they have a much more like fifty thousand foot level instead of you know the kind of up close level, mm-hmm. and I think that's really important here because you know you have senators on both sides, uh, and certainly senators in states, swing states, if you will. Um, where they are moderated, right? I mean, if we look at the Democratic side, we look at people like Manchin from West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Uh, gosh, if I could remember his name, but the, the Democratic senator from Montana, uh, who's been elected statewide there more than once. I mean, he, he gets elected as a Democrat in Montana for a reason, because he's a, he's a moderated guy. And, and when we look at the Republican side, you know, we have to look at um, Susan, uh, Susan Collins in Maine. We have to look at uh, Murkowski mm-hmm. in Alaska. We have to look at Mitt Romney. I mean, these are all pretty, pretty moderate Republicans. That's um, a word. <laughs> they are, know, and, and and they're not going to allow shenanigans on either side because one person one person walks away, it's not going to happen, mm-hmm. right? It's done. So you know, when when it comes to legislation being put put on the floor. Uh, and in this case, I think, you know, if, if it turns out the way it does, Chuck Schumer is going to be the majority leader and, and, and Mitch McConnell will be the minority leader. If they win those, you know, again, they got to get vote, you know, they got to get elected to those positions again. But yes. that's likely what would happen. Uh, but what I think I'm really excited about with it, though, 
is I think that the, the Senate can get back to doing the work of the Senate. And what I mean by that is I think that Chuck Schumer is going to be a lot better about putting legislation on the floor and let it be debated and let it be voted on uh, than we have seen in certainly the last more than four years, six years, eight years of Mitch McConnell, who has just let uh, bills passed by the House stack up on his desk. He has over 450 bills sitting on his desk that he will not put on the floor, he will not let them be debated, and he will not let them be voted on. That is not how our democracy is set up to work. Um, I think on many levels you uh, eloquently put, maybe allayed my fears a little bit that, you know, I'm I'm not a fan of one party uh, in charge of all three aspects, I think mm-hmm. you said. Mm-hmm. But it is in... That's how it's framed to be. So it's not like, well, we should abolish this. No, because that's that's how it is. Uh, you know, my big fingers crossed is midterms are in two years. Um, but I hope you're right. As I, I do said, too. As I said earlier, <laughs> I'm not looking forward to 2021 politically, but I am eagerly anticipating what happens. I'm, I, I want to see. I don't want to be doom and gloom. I don't want to be, you know, oh, my God, we're all going to die. The Republican Party's going to disappear or anything. I would very much like to see what happens. Mm-hmm. And and fingers and we crossed. We will. So thank you for, for bringing so us I, back on that. So I, I think it's going to be, you know, because, again, I, I, and look at the House. I mean, the House is almost 50-50. Mm-hmm. So you have a very, uh, mix, you know, mixed House. You have a very mixed Senate. Um and, and you're not, I, I just don't think you're going to see a lot of crazy, what people might think are crazy bills uh, get through both chambers. It's not going to happen. Um, I mean, and honestly, if we look back at the first two years of Trump's term, he had that, he had all three. And what did they do in the first term? Nothing except give oh, a trillion and a half dollars to me. rich people. I've been vocal about, <laughs> if nothing else, the seven years of we're going to repeal and replace Obamacare. And then you have the ability and you have no plan. Shame. Shame on you guys and gals for, for that. Let's move Agreed. on to global yes, now. let's move on uh, So our, we chose the topic of basically Inauguration Day, which is January 20th. Chances are you'll be watching this before then or it'll be right around the corner. And I want to discuss... Uh, uh, there seem to be two immediate benchmarks for uh, any new administration. Mm-hmm. One, of course, is uh, the day one promises. And, of course, every political promise take with a grain of salt. But I, I do have a list, and we're gonna, I'd like to bounce a couple sure. of those off of you. But the big one is the first hundred days. Oh, yeah. And this has been established because... <laughs> Apparently, you know, with 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 campaigning and everything else, you have if you have your first hundred days to establish an agenda. Mm-hmm. So apparently, what is on um, President Elect Biden's? And I say that because I too wait until things are certified in any way, shape, or form. But uh, on his hundred day agenda is to rejoin, and this is from his own words, rejoining the Paris Climate Accords, um, appointing the HUD Secretary to end homelessness. Stop border family separations and to stop the wall construction. Now, hand in hand with that will be not to tear down existing parts of the wall. So I guess half a wall is better than none. I don't know. But is there any of those topics you want to like take and we can? Well, I think that, you know, and then and, and looking, you know, looking at what in my, I guess in my view. Yeah. Uh, what I think the real hundred day. Uh, first 100 days, Biden's mission is, if you will, in the first 100 days, or what he wants to accomplish in the first 100 days, uh, comes down to three things, in my opinion. 
um, based on you know what I watch and what I read. Uh, and that's maskings, vaccinations, and opening schools back up. Okay. And so those are, as, I think, as three biggest priorities, I think, especially as time has evolved uh, since Election Day in mm-hmm. early November uh, and where we are today and, and, and what's happening today and, and what the goals are for those, those first 100 days. You know, I don't think he's going to uh, – he might, he might uh, look at uh, ACA policy changes, I think, in the first 100 days. Uh, but I don't think he's going to go much farther, like into energy or, uh, um, um, you know, fiscal financial matters. I don't think he's going to go too much into that in the first hundred days. I think his focus is really going to be on, you know, the the coronavirus uh, and 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 healthcare. I, I think that's really what he's going to focus on. You know, I know you mentioned the Paris Climate Accords. You know, I certainly think that that's going to be part of the first hundred days. Uh, you know, I, I, I see definitely that we'll get back into the Paris Climate Accord. And I think that, you know, I honestly, I think people need to educate themselves a little bit more on the Paris Climate Accord because uh, the reality is that it doesn't put any financial burden legally from a document legal standpoint. It puts no financial burden on the United States. It, it's, it's what we decide to do. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like, oh, if we're in that, we have to spend X amount of dollars. That's not what the Paris Climate Accord says. Um, and, and it's about working with the other, what, hundred and how many nations? 75. <laughs> There's only like five nations in the world that aren't in it. We're one of them right now. But aren't those um, five saying, the biggest I'm, polluters and I'm, in the history of the and I'm not saying it's I'm not saying it's the perfect uh, agenda. Uh, I'm not saying it's the perfect plan. Uh, but if you have no plan, that's worse than getting into something that can, that can be worked uh, to try to fix it. And I, and I think that we should try to fix it. Um, I think we have work to do on the climate, uh, and I don't think it's necessarily detrimental to any specific industries if it's handled the right way. I work in oil and gas, and I'm not worried about alternative fuels or energies, um, you know, eliminating the oil and gas industry, because the oil and gas industry is not going to be eliminated in my lifetime. I can tell you that because I work in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's ways, there's certainly things oil and gas companies are doing to reduce uh, emissions into our atmosphere. Uh, and they're, they've been doing it all through the administ- you know, the last four years. It's not like they stopped doing it just because maybe a regulation was wiped out by mm-hmm. the current administration because they know it was going to come back. They're smarter than that. Mm-hmm. Just you know, just like fuel economy on cars, when they you know this administration <laughs> wiped that out, it's not like they stopped doing it because they knew they're smarter than that. It's not going to stay that way, uh, and it's important to them to to keep working on on these kinds of technologies. So. So those are the types of things I'm not worried about. Now, you know, obviously, if you know, we're not going to end homelessness in 100 days. I can tell you that. Um, you know, border family separations. I think that's you know fairly easy to stop, quite frankly. Yeah, don't start um, it. You shouldn't have started it to begin with. Uh, and wall, con- you know, the wall construction. The wall's always been this really weird thing to me um, because I've always had a view of uh, you know if there's a place on the border that needs a wall that doesn't have a wall, then put one there. Um, does it make sense to put a, a wall from from sea to shining sea, so to speak? Uh, absolutely not, because there's certain areas uh, that it makes absolutely no sense to put a wall. To me, as a Republican, it so, re- uncomfortably reminded me of the opening scene from uh, Escape from New York, and I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> so, um, actually, so for its first 100-day promises, uh, I'm... I'm not a fan of the Paris Climate Accords as they exist now with what's going on. And the simple fact that you said everyone but five nations, but it's these five nations that are causing 
the grief. And however, an organization can compel, assuming you're not in bed with said nation mm-hmm. already, to, you know, through tariffs, through mm-hmm. uh, boycotts or whatever, to, to make it more painful to not join this club. I'm not a fan of the currently existing Paris Climate Accords, but I agree that, you know, obviously climate change happens, however much of it is man-made or not or natural, climate's always changed. Still, you can't have 8 billion people on a planet and it not the footprint not affect things. So, of course. And I say this because something – I was driving the other day, Jay. Mm-hmm. Bear with me here. And I'm just driving down the freeway and someone rolled down a window and – and I flash back to as a kid this commercial where you know people would be throwing their McDonald's bags out the window, <laughs> driving past, and then you'd have the Indian or the, sorry the Native American you know crying, and it was the whole. And I remember when littering was the thing; everyone mm-hmm. littered, you know, everyone threw it out there, the the the, the ashtrays, not just a cigarette, but just dumped their ashtrays through their their to try this out the window on the freeways and the highways. Mm-hmm. That we had to have national campaigns to say stop it. Right now, it's unheard of. So, of course, things progress. And, mm-hmm. so, you know, I, too, w- worked many years in the oil and gas industry. It will never go away because as alternate energy sources are found, you'll need less and less. But, again, uh, first off, I-, I enjoy the fact, as you pointed out, something was deregulated and it showed you don't need that harsh regulation necessarily because they didn't go, Ooh, we're going to go back to 12 miles a gallon now. Um, and well, earlier today, it was it was funny. Someone uh, we were talking. I was talking with someone, and we were talking about alternate energy and mm-hmm. stuff. And they said, "Well, I just can't imagine you ever owning a Tesla." And I said, "Well, why not?" Well, because you know you're you're a Republican. I'm like, "What does that have to do with wanting a cool car with right. you know that maybe I'm belching out fewer fumes?" Uh, so. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, I and you know you talk about regulations. You know, mm-hmm. I, I always caution people. When it comes to regulations, you know, there, there, there's a balance that has to be made in government, right? When it comes to regulations, uh, because in a capitalistic society, we cannot have an unregulated capitalistic society. I believe in capitalism. Mm-hmm. That's what our that's what that's the type of country we live in, uh, and I'm all for it. Uh, but we can't have an unregulated capitalistic society because I can guarantee if we had an unregulated capitalistic society, we would live in a terrible place. Cage match. So, so we have to have regulations because you know people and or corporations uh, will not do the right thing always if they are not told how to do it. Mm-hmm. And so we have to understand that because money is the biggest evil on the face of the planet. And it makes people do crazy things. Um, and, and that's why we have to have them. But we have to understand that we can't overregulate. I talked a lot about this when I talked about legalizing marijuana in the state of Texas. You know, it's, that's an industry that has to be regulated, but we don't want to overregulate it because, for example, if you overregulate a legal marijuana industry, then people are just going to go to the, to the black market mm-hmm. and it's, it's not going to fix anything. And so we ha- you have to be careful and you don't want to put so many regulations that people don't even want to go into the business because either there's too much liability or there's too much money up front involved, whatever the case may be. So, so there's a fine balance of regula- regulation. Agreed. And that's what we have to make sure that we you know, control, I think. Absolutely agreed. I want to talk about some of the day one promises that President-elect Biden has, has promised here. Uh, as you said, day one, he said he'll appoint, he'll, he'll meet with Dr. Fauci, who apparently is the COVID 
golden boy, uh, uh, establish a COVID board or coronavirus board, and She's somehow institute uh, masks and gowns to the world or to, to the nation. Uh, that uh, I did point. He did say, and I don't know if he's. I'm just pointing this out. He said he won't wear. He has said that he would not wear a mask to his inauguration. Now, I don't know if that's still. We'll see. I guess on board or not. I don't care either way, but I just I find that interesting. I just think it depends on how they uh, how they hold. Yeah, the and if they're separate. And to me, I hope he doesn't because I think that sends a signal. I during that presidential debate where um, he said we don't need to learn to live with COVID, we need to learn to die with COVID. That to me just kind of epitomized everything that's wrong right now. It's it's we've become this nation of of please don't hurt me. And that's not what, to me, America is. We we are, we're this upstart nation who's accomplished more in 200 years than most nations couldn't do in 2000 because that's our spirit. And to, to have that, it just, we, we've been cringing at our own shadows, in my opinion, for, for too long. So, President-elect Biden, I'm sure you're listening to us. Don't wear a mask. Use social distancing Bathe in Lysol. Keep everyone six feet away or more. Uh, do a virtual. I don't care. It will send a very nice message, I think, that, you know, we can get out of this. We don't have to learn to die with COVID. We can live just fine as COVID is in our world. Yeah, and I think I, I think it's all about the messaging again. You know, if he chooses not to do it, I mean, he does every other time, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he's always got a mask on. He mm-hmm. says he's he always does. If that, for that particular event, he it helps hide the identities to. of the body doubles. I, I will say it's outdoors, so that does help mm-hmm. things along those lines. But again, we also have to be cautious that you know now that we have vaccines going around. Um, you know, just because you get a vaccine doesn't mean everything's hunky dory and good. As our as our uh, local uh, representative in the U.S. House has contracted COVID nineteen after he got the first vaccine shot. Mm-hmm. So, so again, we you know, which is again just un- although you're supposed to get two, so you know, in fairness, he was halfway through the. Well, the first one provides over a small amount, fifty two percent. That's that's how much it is. Fifty two percent. It's amazing. That's why mm. these vaccine vaccines are amazing because the first shot is fifty two percent immunity. The second shot is ninety five percent immunity. So it's not like the first shot doesn't do anything. Fifty. By the way, fifty two percent immunity from a vaccine is probably one of the highest uh, that's out there when it comes to vaccines. One day regardless. I can't wait for the documentaries right, so. on how we were able to get this vaccine done so. I quick. can't wait either because it's pretty pretty exciting. <laughs> Uh, other other um, first day promises to rejoin the WHO World Health Organization to end the uh, the Muslim ban. You know, President Trump established a ban to certain Muslim countries. Uh, now, there have always been travel advisories throughout the history of time, and mm-hmm. I, so I think there's a difference between banning to to certain countries or to to establish that you can establish travel is not allowed here at this time for this reason. So it'll be interesting to see if that's what we go back to, that mm-hmm. focus thing instead of a blanket thing. Sure. Uh, to repeal liability, liability protections for gun manufacturers. This I don't think is going to be a day one promise he can he can keep. Uh, to undo the Trump tax cuts. In fact, in his own words, quote, I'll double them. Um, this will be interesting to see how this happens. Uh, and to address systemic racism, which I'm all for, address it to your heart's content. Next, do something about it. And, of course, restore the federal workers' rights to unionize. Not a fan of that myself personally. But uh, these are all things that he said he'd do on the first day. So you better get a nap early 
because it's going to be a full day for them on January twentieth. Yeah, it'll be. Uh, it's always gonna. It's always interesting to see what happens at the very beginning. Of right now, of course, we're right? in seriousness. And every president-elect has said, "I've got a list of this long before well, state there's promises." Cer- there are certain things that happen. You know, every time a Republican gets elected mm-hmm. after a Democrat, and there's certain things that'll happen on day one when a Democrat gets elected right. right after a Republican. There's certain executive orders that get signed day one. They're already written because it happens every single time, yeah, and absolutely. it's a party thing. It's not a it's not an individual thing at all. So th- those things happen. I, I'm interested to see how some of these things work. You know, I think some of the things I, I'm particularly interested to, to see more about is, you know, when we talk about, un- I know the phrase undo the Trump tax cuts is put out there mm-hmm. uh, and what that's actually going to mean. Uh, I think it's important that, you know, certain parts of those tax cuts are probably reversed, um, certainly for the highest and, and most wealthiest people uh, in the country. Uh, because they basically received a majority of the benefits of that tax cut anyway. Most most families uh, in the middle class and, and lower did not receive much benefit from from those tax cuts, and, and we now know that with, with data and facts. Uh, so that'll be interesting to see uh, how, how they handle that. Uh, but again, you know, the, 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 the first day and the first, you know, three months, really, if we just put it that way, is always interesting to see, right? I mean... Um, I, I'll be fascinated to see it, and, and I hope you know things go uh, a certain way, and the certain decisions are made the right way. And I, you know, Biden is somebody I think who is not—he's uh, a pretty moderate guy. He's got a lot of friends in the Senate. He was in the Senate for obviously a long, long, long time, and he knows people on both sides of the aisle. He's actually got quite a relationship with Mitch McConnell, um, so it's actually going to be interesting to see how he navigates uh, those things, and and. I will honestly say, since it is today, that I was also very excited uh, that, uh, and he hasn't officially announced it yet. I think it's going to be tomorrow, probably. But he has he has basically announced who his uh, nominee is going to be for attorney oh, general, um, Gar- which is Merrick Garland. Garland, I'm, I'm sorry, yeah. So sorry. excited that Merrick Garland will finally get his vote that Mitch McConnell never gave him. There you go. Um, yeah, the day I become president, my only first day promise will be to successfully navigate my hangover. And that, that's a promise I would intend to keep. Okay, I know we've deep dived today. We've, yeah. we've gone long, so it's let's fun. wrap it up. Let's. Uh, we have a new weekly segment where I talk about what's going to kill us all this week. This week, what's going to kill us all is gendered pronouns. That's right. The house rules are now dictated that you can no longer say I'm a mother, I'm a grandfather, I have a grandson. It has to be parent and grandchild and child. And, of course, the uh, the the the, <laughs> the prayer. I'm trying to say this with a straight face, and I can't. A pastor, and i got to use air quotes for this, ended the congressional opening prayer by saying, Amen and a women. Sir, you are a moron. This is a Latin phrase coming from an Hebraic root, which means it is said. Thus it is. It is so. Um, (laughs) Do not, please. It is, I am all for gender equality, gender identity politics, however you want to phrase it. Um, But come on. Uh, do, there are much better things to worry about than to say amen and a woman. And if you were a man of the cloth, <laughs> you would have known this. So shame, shame, shame on you. Jay, you want to pipe in on that at all? You know, or just, I, like... I don't even know if there's anything I can say to that. Okay. I, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a cancel culture person. I'm not a boycotter person. Um, and, and I understand, I'll say this. I do understand on an individual, for an individual, uh, when it comes to their, their personal pronoun, they prefer to have themselves called absolutely that's their choice of of how they want to do it when we take it overboard which this was even 
beyond overboard. Jay, I would like you to take your hormonal and open it to page 142 where we will sing. Okay, that's what's killing us this week. What is no longer going to kill us are statues. Statues are no longer going to kill us. No, 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 no. The the great statue danger of 2020 is over. Um, uh, I know that you said in the legislature they're talking about getting rid of Confederate uh, Heroes Day. Uh, here's my take on the statues, and this is, you know, the opinions of Sean don't necessarily reflect the opinions of anyone else in the universe, particularly Woodlands Online. Um, destroying statues does absolutely nothing. It hurts. It, it, those who forget, uh, history are doomed to repeat it. Now those say, well, did the Nazis keep theirs? Absolutely. Germany did. There's something called the topography of terror, which is a big, huge honking facility in Berlin where all Nazi paraphernalia, statues and plates and flags and weapons and tanks went there. And school children have to go there every year and they're given a tour to say this is what happens when you let stupid stuff go down and you don't do anything about it. So instead of throwing Frederick Douglass, a.k.a. one of the great anti-slavers in the history of the universe, when you throw his statue in the Boston waters... You're doing no good. Instead, take the statues that offend you because statues are one of two things. They're either a commemoration or they're art. And if it's a commemoration that's meant to be remembered for good or ill, put it in a topography of confederacy. And if it's art, then if that offends you as art, what's next? What would you take down from the museum walls? So I am so glad that now we don't have to worry about it anymore. No one's throwing more statues in the water. They're not going to kill us anymore. Well... I'll just, uh, I'll guess I'll give my two cents Please on, do. on the statues. Uh, first of all, I think uh, we ha- all have to remember that we can't forget history, mm-hmm. right? We have to teach history. That's why I think schools should teach actual history, uh, because I think schools do a terrible job of teaching actual history. Uh, and, and my personal opinion about Confederate statues, if we're just going to talk about Confederate statues, uh, they belong in a museum. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what he talked about in Germany. Um, you know, they're, you're not going to drive around Berlin and, and see statues of Hitler all around Berlin. You, you're going to, if you're going to see them in one place because in Germany, you will not find statues of Hitler. Uh, and quite frankly, in Germany, it's illegal to actually have anything that annotates from the Nazi regime in your personal possession to go out in public and wave a flag or anything they like that. They actually, to the point of changing movies, if there's like a war movie or something, or uh, they'll, they'll change it to a, a non-Nazi situation. That's right, because it's against the law there. So that's mm-hmm. so yes, they have a, a place that you can see some of those things, and, and their school children are required to go and look and you know learn this history, uh, which is really important because I know they don't want to repeat what happened in those years. Uh, but when it comes to the United States and Confederate statues, I mean, I believe that they should be in a museum as well. That's where mm-hmm. I think they should be, and they should. And I, I believe school children should also be taught what the Confederacy actually was, because in my opinion, there shouldn't be a Confederate statue on any federal land whatsoever, uh, because as far as I'm concerned, uh, the Confederates were traitors. Uh, that they were trying to secede from the Union. Uh, and the reasons they were trying to secede from the Union is because they wanted to keep things like slaves that the North didn't want to keep, people like Abraham Lincoln, who was trying to get rid of it, uh, and successfully did. Uh, so in my opinion, Confe- the Confederates are traitors, uh, and, and that's so I don't think they should have any realm in the public phase as far as like on display on a piece of federal property. They should be in a museum, and we should teach the history about what it is. 
Uh, you know, and I understand people in the South, you know, they talk about heritage and that's the whole Confederate flag thing and, and all that stuff. And that's all fine and dandy, but I think they should just make sure they understand what that history is. Absolutely. Understanding history is more important than just knowing it. So we kind of agree on this at the end. And you know what we do when we agree on stuff? We end the show and we share a drink. That's right. We crack one open. Um, you know, we had some viewers expressing concerns about day drinking from last episode. <laughs> so we're going with, uh, I'm trying a new thing. Uh, these are not sponsors of our show, but I'm going to try a Cherry Coke Zero. Jay? Excellent conversation today. Cheers. Cheers to you, sir. You've been watching Purple Politics with Sean Thompson. And Jace Littlebird. Where the red meets the blue and hopefully meets in the middle so they can discuss in civilized terms and come up with some purpleage. Join us next week.